0: Hello and welcome to part 1 in a series of videos that I will be putting out this week where I try to break down as many of the fights taking place this weekend at UFC 240 as possible. Now I say I'm going to try and break down as many fights as possible because if you watched last week's videos you will know that today in fact in around two hours time my dad is going into hospital to have ankle replacement surgery so I want to be in hospital a lot this week taking care of him and then also when he comes home from hospital on Thursday or Friday I'm gonna be spending a lot of time at his house you know cooking for him helping him go to the toilet cleaning up after him all that kind of stuff he's in his 70s so he is gonna need a lot of my help so because of that I'm not too sure how many breakdown videos are going to be able to put out over the next few weeks. Because my dad is going to need a lot of my help uh, over the next few weeks. But pretty soon, hopefully he'll be healed up. And I'll be back on the channel pumping out these videos as regularly as possible. But there is a small piece of good news. So I was planning on basically going into hospital with my dad. And basically spending all day and all night there until the hospital kicked me out. And he was he's probably going to be in hospital for about... 2 or 3 days which would have obviously had a big impact on my ability to produce these breakdown videos but I actually found out today when I spoke to him that I'm not actually allowed to do that so apparently I can only go in for like 2 or 3 hours a day for visiting hours which I didn't realise which means I'm going to be able to spend a lot more time at home this week Doing research than I thought I would. So, I'll probably be able to bring a lot more breakdown videos to you this week than I thought I would. So, actually, the impact of my dad's surgery probably isn't going to affect the channel until next week when he's home and I'm spending a lot of time over his house, cooking, cleaning for him, that kind of thing. So, it's all good this week. False alarm. Uh, He's going into surgery in a few hours' time. Fingers crossed he pulls through. He's quite a physically fit guy for 70. I hope I'm. uh, I hope I'm looking as good as him when I'm that age anyway, so yeah, fingers crossed he pulls through, it's all good. And I also just want to make it very, very, very clear that the, uh, you know, my dad going into hospital for surgery will not have any impact on the service I provide my members On my website, I will still be offering my live betting tips to my elite members on Saturday night. I'll still be researching all the fights uh, on all the upcoming cards and pumping out bets for for all my members. I'll also be doing live bets for all my members. You know, my dad going into hospital will not affect my website. The only reason why it will affect my YouTube channel is because it does take a lot of time to produce these videos, and it's just basically the easiest thing to trim out of my life at the moment when shit is getting crazy. But as soon as it's down can't wait to bring them back because you guys watching this video you mean a hell of a lot to me you really really do so thank you for watching i appreciate it and hopefully can pay you back for the support by lining your pockets with silver helping you make some cash this weekend so what else do I have to talk about? So I don't want this video to end up being super long uh, but we do have to go back over the results from the month so we'll skim through them quickly. We won't go into too much details. We don't want the video to be crazy long but obviously July is going pretty well for us so far. Kicked the month off with a very nice big winner on bellator 224 first major event in july with the over 1.5 rounds bet on the fight between chidi and and rafael carvalho very very nice followed that up the night after on ufc on espn plus 13 with an even bigger winner big two unit bet on a jermaine derandame at underdog odds to put us in a very very cheeky profit for the month around about five units and then last weekend unfortunately the money train came to a halt when we had to uh, stop off at a little station in the middle of nowhere and take a small loss on steven peterson but you know we knew peterson would be a really big gamble when you bet on a guy like steven peterson is never going to be a safe bet that's the risk you take so i guess you know we haven't really spoke about this bet so just to quickly go over you know my thoughts on the bet i actually think we got quite a bit unlucky here boys Uh, i really do think we got quite a bit unlucky because if you look at the end of the first round with how easily peterson was able to control caceres on the on the ground and also you know how easily he was able to control him on the ground in the third round that was peterson's path to victory we knew he would absolutely struggle if the fight stayed standing but we knew on the ground he had a huge advantage we were kind of banking on the hope that he would be able to get the fight to the ground And control Caceres for large periods of the fight because historically Caceres has had bad takedown defense, a very low level ground game and typically speaking when you put Caceres on his back he struggles to get back to his feet. We kind of saw that at the end of the first round and the end of the third round. But uh, we actually got lucky in this fight under normal circumstances. And it actually worked against us. So at the end of the first round, Alex Caceres went back to John Crouch in his corner, you know, head trainer at the MMA lab, and he told John Crouch that he broke his hand. Now, whenever a fighter sustains a serious injury like that, it's usually a good idea to bet against them because obviously, you know, it's a fucking pro MMA fight. It's not going to be easy to fight with one hand. So when Caceres, at the end of the first round, told his coach he broke his hand, I thought Peterson at that point was going to cruise to a win. I actually added more money to Peterson live at the end of the first round, and I mean a pro tip for you, I earn the majority of my money live betting on MMA. If ever a fighter goes back to their corner at the end of round one, and they tell their corner man they're dealing with a significant injury, like a blown knee or a broken hand or a dislocated shoulder or something, fucking bet against them. Because if you can get decent odds, obviously if they, you know, the odds are crazy, don't. If the odds are decent, fucking bet against them, because when a fighter is seriously impaired at the end of the first round you know chances are it's gonna have a massive impact on their performance in the second and third round so taking away this matchup take take uh, take this matchup out of the picture if you can bet against the fighter this sustained a substantial injury You should take that opportunity, and when Caceres said he broke his hand, I thought our Peterson bet was looking in great shape. But in a strange turn of events, I actually think that by Caceres breaking his hand, it actually worked against us, and this is why we got a little bit unlucky, because throughout Caceres' career, if you look at his, his MMA records, 15 and 12, obviously fights are never fought on paper, they're fought in a cage. But if you look at his record, it, it is a complete mess, and one of the reasons why Caceres's record is so sketchy, you know, split decisions, lots of losses, one of the reasons why his record is so messy is because he's got bad fight IQ and he makes a lot of mistakes in fights. It's quite easy to bait Caceres into making mistakes because he's a martial artist, he loves to prove himself in different areas. and. It's quite easy to bait him into reckless exchanges or throwing flashy kicks or or things like that because he likes to have fun in the octagon. And that's why I thought Peterson would be a good bet here because Peterson applies so much pressure to his opponents. I thought eventually we'd see Caceres start to, to make some mistakes, throw flashy kicks. Uh, get sucked into reckless exchanges and as a result overcommit and give up easy takedowns. And we know, as we saw in the fight, Peterson's advantage on the ground was huge. But it actually worked against us because the first time, for the first time in Caceres' career, the irony of him breaking his hand in round one was the fact that I think it was actually the best performance of his career. After he broke his, his hand in round one, it was almost like he went into survival mode. And because he knew he only had one hand to fight with, for the first time in a long time, he actually fought smart. You know, he didn't get sucked into any crazy exchanges. He didn't start throwing flashy kicks. You know, he he stayed true to what was working for him, true to a game plan. He circled on the outside, used excellent footwork, played the role of matador, and picked Steven Peterson off as he came forward and used used Peterson's forward pressure against him. It was a flawless performance from Cerrares, best performance of his career. But I actually think the fact that he broke his hand after round one helped him. I think it it made his performance better. Because all of a sudden, instead of, you know, focusing on being exciting and throwing flashy strikes and, 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 and entertaining the crowd, which is, you know, what Kassar, a trap Caceres usually falls into, which is why we bet against him here, which is why his, 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 his record is so sketchy on paper. It was almost like he went into survival mode and he protect, wanted to protect his hand Uh, and just thought i'm just going to try and get through this fight and and do the best job i can with the tools i've now got there's a flawless performance from caceres Uh, i I saw some people scoring the fight for peterson Uh, i could see why obviously he finished the first round strong the third round strong i personally scored the 29 28 for p uh, for caceres i think it was good judging you know even though um Peterson did end the round with a takedown and some ground and pound. I do feel like the damage Caceres was able to do prior to that in round three counted for a lot more. Uh the only thing I would say is the judges, one of the judges scored a 30-27 Caceres, which is a fucking terrible scorecard. Because round three is subjective which way you score it. You know, you could give it to Peterson for the last minute of top control and ground and pound. Uh, you could give it to Caceres for outstriking him for the the four minutes leading up to that and the damage. But I don't see how you give Caceres round one because for, you know, a minute and a half, two minutes the end of that round, he had his back controlled by uh, by Steven Peterson. Body triangle fully locked in. That's the second most dominant position in MMA and it's not like Caserreads. Caceres did loads of damage route, struck him by a white margin leading up to that so it's water under the bridge it didn't affect the actual outcome of the fight but I thought the judges were a little bit off there so yeah we took uh, took a bit of a gamble on Peterson he's never going to be a safe bet but at the end of the day you know that's the way it goes we knew that uh, you know we knew that it was like a 60-40 fight you can never feel too confident in a guy like Peterson that's why we kept the unit size small at one unit and didn't come through for us but if you keep putting your money in these strong positions you know you will make money over time and speaking of calculated gambles and oh my god i'm gonna get torn apart in the comments for this one so speaking of calculated gambles uh speaking of hunting for strong positions to put your money i believe i have found a very strong position to put our money this weekend and i believe i have found one of the best most calculated gambles of the year. Actually one of my favourite calculated gambles of the year. Um, So where do I begin? I need to choose my words carefully here because I know I'm gonna get destroyed in the comments for all the stuff I'm about to say. So I'm trying to do damage limitation because there are a lot of people who watch these videos that don't understand probabilities. They don't understand risk to reward ratio. You know they don't understand the concept behind finding strong positions to put your money and earning a uh, earning a profit over over the long term everyone wants to win every bet and everyone just want picks and they, they don't a lot of people don't understand uh, that this is a marathon not a sprint and it's more important to find uh, find strong positions to put your money, than than just to, to to try and pick which fighters will win. You know that's irrelevant. We're looking for the strong positions so we can actually make money. So right off the bat, I want to make it very, 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 very clear that I think Max Holloway beats Frankie Edgar this weekend. I want to make it very clear that I think Holloway beats Frankie Edgar. I have to make that very clear. Please remember at any stage in this breakdown, please remember that if you think I'm a fool or I'm a clown or I'm an idiot or I have no idea what I'm talking about, when I'm about to say the things I'm about to say, please just remember I'm on your side. I think Holloway will win this fight, okay? If you find anyone that tells you they think it's more likely that Frank Jäger wins this fight. They're crazy. They're crazy. It's, it's, it's just simply not the truth. You know, Max Holloway is one of the greatest featherweights of all time. He is continually improving from fight to fight. He is an incredibly technical striker. He's got cardio for days. He's tough as hell. And he's got a huge size advantage over, over Frankie Jäger. This is a very difficult fight for Frank Jäger. I do think... That Holloway will win this fight. But remember. We're not trying to pick winners. We're not trying to be the smartest guy at the bar. We're not trying to prove a point. And we know that one winning or losing bet. Does not define us. This is a marathon. And over the course of a year. I'll place between 400 and 600 bets. I don't give a fuck if Jermaine Durand and wins. I don't give a fuck if Steven Peterson loses. All I care about at the end of the year. When I look back. the year is that i made more money than i than than i lost that's all i care about and one of the ways you can ensure you make more than you lose one of the reasons one of the ways you can ensure you make a profit is by consistently putting your money in strong positions and sometimes that means betting on fighters who you actually think will lose and i know that concept will not make sense to a very very large percentage of people watching this video and if you're one of them and you think that's a stupid concept, just dislike the video, unsubscribe from me, and just go away and never watch me again. It's cool We don't have to agree this is free content. you don't have to watch me. You can chip off and watch someone else on the other hand if you're if you're just wondering what I've just said, you know, why would you bet on a fighter that you actually think is going to lose? if that intrigues you if you if you don't want to just dismiss that straight away, if that intrigues you, you know go away and learn about, you know, risk to reward ratios, probabilities, you know, there are some great books on this concept, you know, more tailored towards investing, best one I can think of is Angel by Jason Calacanis that explains the principles of angel investing and how you have to put your money in, you know, in a lot of positions where it's probably going to lose to hit the big winners. And even though you know betting on MMA isn't the same context because when you hit big winners in angel investing, you're doing 100x or 1,000x on your money, the same principles on a much more micro level uh, are relevant. So if you are interested in this concept and you don't want to dismiss what I'm telling you, please go look into that. So, do I think Frank Jäger wins this weekend? No. I don't think Frankie Edgar wins. I really don't. I think Max Holloway wins. He's got everything on his side, almost everything on his side. Um, but the question is not always who do I think will win. question is what probability do I give each fighter of winning? Okay? And the question to follow up from that is do I think Frankie Edgar can win? And the answer to that is yes do I think he will win no do I think he can win yes one word difference in those sentences but they give a completely different meaning so when you cap in fights you've always got to try and assign a probability that each fighter has of winning and then you compare that to the odds the implied odd uh, implied probability available that comes with the odds to calculate if there's value on a bet So if we take a look at the odds on Max Holloway, currently around about an average of 1.25, which is minus 400 for an implied probability of 80%. So to get any value on a bet on Max Holloway, you've got to give him an 85% or better chance of winning this fight. So when when I say what I'm about to say, and you literally... Can't wait to scroll down, hit the dislike button, and call me a fool in the comments and tell me Max Holloway is going to knock Frankie Edgar out in 30 seconds. Please just know I am not disagreeing with what you are saying. All I am saying is that with all the information we have available going into this fight, I don't believe you can give Max Holloway an 85% chance of winning this fight. Therefore, he is a bad bet. He is not worthy of being put in parlays or accumulators or any other possible way that you wish to bet him. Max Holloway is off the table because his advantages in this fight, you know, his age advantage, his size advantage, his striking advantage, the fact that he's fucking incredible, all those factors are already priced into the odds. So there's no value here. This is not a discussion about who will win. This is a discussion about who is the better bet. So is Frankie the better bet? Well, if you look at his odds, he's currently around about an average of 4.30. Which is plus one, plus 330 for an implied probability of 23%. That's fucking crazy. There's value there. It doesn't matter how much I like Max. It doesn't matter how great I think Max is you have to give Frankie Eger more than a 23% chance of winning this fight. Quite a bit more, to be fair. I'd personally cap Frankie Edgar at around about 40% in this fight. I, I'm i I'm 60-40 in favour of Holloway. 23% is just disrespectful to the body of work that Frankie Edgar has put together throughout his career. And it also makes some pretty big assumptions... About Max Holloway's ability to deal with a high-level chain wrestler like Frankie Edgar. So please, I need to make this clear because I can already see the comments with everyone calling me a clown for even thinking that Frankie Edgar could win this fight. Everyone's going to tell me Holloway's going to knock him out. Yada yada yada. I agree with you. Yeah, I agree with you. But remember. Making money in this game is about consistently putting your money in strong positions. And if we've got an implied probability of 23% on Frankie Edgar, you have to give him at least a 30% chance of winning based on his body of work and based on some things that I'm going to explain in a moment. In fact, I'm just going to tell you there's value on Frankie Edgar here and rather than justifying it by being elusive, let's just get into why I think there's value. So, Frankie Edgar is one of the best MMA grapplers in the history of MMA. His ability to chain wrestle is second and none. Well, that's not true. All I'm saying is there are better chain wrestlers out there, Usman, Khabib, but Frankie's fucking up there. He's not quite on their level, but he's probably in the top 10 best chain wrestlers in the UFC. For a long time he was top 3, for a long time he was top 5 over the last few years. We've had some beasts like Gregor Gillespie pop up. But Frankie Egg is probably in the top 10 best chain wrestlers in the UFC. He's got an NCAA Division 1 level wrestling background. And Frankie's also got the cardio, the toughness, the heart to relentlessly shoot on his opponents for 25 minutes. And relentlessly chain wrestle for 25 minutes. Something that other high-level chain wrestlers, like Kevin Lee for example, can't do without slowing down. Even Colby Covington tends to slow down in the second or third round of fights. Frankie is an enigma really, because he is one of those guys that can relentlessly shoot and force his opponents to continually have to defend takedowns for 25 minutes. Which is very, very unique because... When you shoot relentlessly, shoot takedowns, you exert a lot of energy. So Frankie Edgar's got that freaky next-level cardio. And it's very important to understand how good of a wrestler Frankie Edgar is. Because if you don't appreciate how good of a wrestler Frankie Edgar is, you may not understand, you may not fully appreciate the threat that his style of fighting poses to Max Holloway. Because in many ways, I think that that MMA betting is quite similar to betting on the WWE. It's a lot more similar to betting on WWE than it is boxing. Because in MMA, I think quite often we see a fighter's popularity have a massive influence on the odds. Or we see a fighter's hype have a massive influence on the odds. And I believe that's what's happening here. Because in order to cap max holloway as a 1.25 favorite which is minus 400 for an implied probability of 80 percent you are making some really 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 big fucking assumptions on max holloway's skill set that are completely unproven so a lot of people have a perception that that max holloway has amazing takedown defense and i'm not going to disagree with that because you know he has shown Flashes of amazing takedown defense, but at the same time his takedown defense is completely untested If we look at his record over the last six years We just go through the list of opponents that he's fought He hasn't fought a strong offensive wrestler Since he fought Dennis Bermudez back in 2013 and lost Now again before you go to Scroll down and leave a nasty comment and tell me how you know Ortega's for all these amazing grapplers. Sorry, Holloway's for all these amazing grapplers and completely shut them down. His takedown defense looked amazing. Let's just go back through the fights where he's fought grapplers and examine what actually happened. So Dustin Poirier probably the strongest offensive wrestler he's fought in the last six years since he lost to Dennis Bermudez but this was a stand-up fight because Dustin Poirier knows that when you shoot takedowns you exert a lot of energy so he didn't use his offensive wrestling in this fight he chose to keep it standing so cross Poirier off the list. Brian Ortega yes an elite grappler but a very very poor offensive wrestler doesn't have the offensive wrestling shots to take Holloway down. Doesn't really have any wrestling at all. He's a BJJ guy. Ricardo Lamas is a wrestler. But he's NCAA Division 3 level. He's 35, 36 years old when Holloway fought him. And Lamas has never been a very strong offensive wrestler. If you go back and watch Lamas's fights, really, really struggles to take his opponents down with offensive wrestling shots. And his chain wrestling is very poor. It is nowhere near the level of Frankie Edgar. Charles Oliveira in 2019, as it stands today, Charles Oliveira is a very, very strong offensive wrestler. He, is, he has built tremendously good offensive wrestling into his skill set. But back in 2015, didn't have any offensive wrestling at all. Charles Oliveira was a Muay Thai and Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu practitioner, couldn't shoot in on his opponents, and the fight ended in a minute and 39 seconds anyway. Cole Miller, yes, he's a grappler, but again, no offensive wrestling primarily a Brazilian jiu-jitsu practitioner. Clay Collard did have a wrestling background, but he's one of these wrestlers, like Tony Ferguson, that just chooses to keep fights standing instead, so didn't try and get Holloway to the ground here. Again, Andre Philly, similar to Charles Oliveira. In 2019, as it stands today, Andre Philly's a very strong offensive wrestler. Back in 2014, he wasn't. He was just a kickboxer. So the last time we saw Max Holloway fight... uh, a high-level offensive wrestler. He struggled bad. It was in 2013, six years ago, against Dennis Bermudez. And if you go back and watch this fight, there are a lot of red flags here with Holloway. first red flag is that his takedown defense isn't great. It's not terrible, but it's not great either. And the more alarming thing is when Bermudez actually did manage to take Holloway down. Holloway was a little bit like Curtis Melender in that... As soon as you flattened his shoulders out on the canvas, he just went to full guard and had absolutely no idea how to work his way back to his feet. You know, there's there's two ways to approach being taken down. There's the team alpha male, where as soon as your bet hits the ground, you treat the ground like lava. You immediately pop back to your feet before your opponent can flatten your shoulders out on the canvas and establish a dominant position. You want to be like a Team Alpha male fighter, a Chad Mendes, a Josh Emmett, a Uriah Faber, a Cody Garbrandt, where your uh, your back, your shoulders do not touch the canvas. You immediately explode back to your feet, and then you've got the other kind of reaction to being taken down, like what a Curtis Melinda does, where he might be difficult to take down, but as soon as you do take him down, he rolls to his back, his shoulders go flat on the canvas, and he goes to full guard. That is what Holloway did in the Bermudez fight. Looked very weak off his back. No idea how to work his way back to his feet. No idea how to defend himself. Very, 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 very weak off his back. Now, six years was a hell of a long time ago. Hell of a long time ago. And within this time, Holloway has shown flashes of very good takedown defense against lower-level offensive wrestlers than Bermudez and Edgar. And I'm sure in the last six years... Holloway's takedown defense and ground game have improved immeasurably. I'm sure they have. But we also have to remember that Max Holloway trains at a small MMA gym in Hawaii surrounded by guys that aren't particularly strong offensive wrestlers, surrounded by guys that aren't particularly great on the ground and surrounded by guys that don't have particularly great takedown defense. So even though I'm sure Holloway has improved tremendously since 2013 when he struggled against Bermudez he's not exactly been training at the best gym to develop bulletproof takedown defense that you will need to keep a fight standing against one of the best offensive wrestlers best MMA grapplers and best MMA chain wrestlers of all time in Frankie Edgar so the point that I'm trying to make is everyone's assuming Max Holloway has amazing takedown defense but there is no evidence of this you know, there are plenty of fighters out there. Curtis Melender is probably the best example that shows good initial takedown defense. Ion Kutelaba is another one, shows great initial takedown defense. But as soon as you start chaining into different takedown attempts, you know if they if they step your single or, or double leg takedown entry start chaining the back control or a body lock they tend to give up takedowns very easily and what we've seen from Max Holloway over the last six years is that he does a great job stepping that initial takedown entry but as soon as well I can't say it, it's gonna happen but what I'm saying is he's only fought guys that can shoot in on that initial shot he hasn't fought any chain wrestlers and the best example that I can think of to illustrate how the walls can come crashing down on a fighter with amazing seemingly amazing takedown defense when they fight a high level chain wrestler. The best example I can think of is Edson Barboza. If you go back and watch Edson Barboza's career, he was basically impossible to take down. His takedown defense was impenetrable. It's amazing. Now if you've just started watching MMA over the last couple of years, you might be saying what the fuck are you talking about Sop? like I just watched Khabib ragdoll Edson his takedown defense is terrible and yes my friend you would be right because the devil is in the detail Edson Barbosa, excellent at stuffing that initial takedown entry just like we've seen from Holloway over the last six years but as soon as you start chaining in the different takedown attempts like Khabib did against Edson he was able to wet blanket and ragdoll Edson Barbosa, and there's a very 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 good chance we will see Frankie Edgar do the same thing to Max Holloway. Because Frankie Eger is not going to be like Ricardo Lamas. He is not going to be like Brian Ortega. If he shoots a takedown and Holloway steps the first takedown entry, steps the single leg, the double leg, and he has to back up and go back into kickboxing range, that's fine because he's going to try again. If he can drive Holloway into the cage, he's going to go from single leg. Okay, you stuffed that. I'm going to go to double leg. Okay, you stuffed that. I'm going to work for control of your body. Okay, you got underhooks in play and made that difficult for me. I'm going to back up. You know what? 30 seconds later, I'm going to try again. We don't know how Holloway is going to deal with that style of chain wrestling because we've never seen him deal with it before. So that's why the odds on this fight are absolutely insane. It is disrespectful... To only give Frankie Edgar a 23% chance of winning this fight by the implied probability. And it is making huge assumptions capping Holloway at 80%. It's ludicrous. There's definite value on Frankie Edgar here. And we also have to take into consideration the fact that Max Holloway is getting older and he's getting bigger. And it appears that the cut to £145 is getting harder and harder and harder. You know, who knows, he might have a terrible weight cut this weekend. That might affect his durability, his cardio, his athleticism, his takedown defense. You know, wouldn't be the first time we've seen a fighter underperform after a bad weight cut. And these weight cuts are getting a lot harder for Holloway. We know Frankie's got cardio for days. We know how tough he is. And one of the things about Frankie is that when he gets you down, when he gets into top position... His ground and pound is devastating. He can inflict an incredible amount of damage from top position. Which again. Will take something out of, of Holloway. If if he's had a bad weight cut. Might make him less durable. You know. We've seen. We've seen Edgar do terrible things. The likes of Cub Swanson and Yaya Rodriguez on the ground. And I know. I know. That as a total package. Those two guys are not on Holloway's level. But. It's possible they're higher level grapplers. Cub Swanson's almost certainly a higher level grappler than Holloway. And he was completely helpless on the ground. In fact, Cub Swanson's compact body type makes it more difficult to hold him down than, than, than Holloway's you know long lean frame. With long legs that you can control by stepping over into half guard. It makes it difficult for Holloway to get back up. And another excellent point that Dan Hardy brought up in the episode of Inside the Octagon this week when he broke this fight down is that he mentioned that Max Holloway has got a very very thin torso, which will make it easier for Frankie Edgar to control his body on a body lock takedown and drag into the ground a technique Frankie Edgar is particularly good at. So, if you ask me who I'm going to win this, who I think will win this fight, I think Max Holloway is going to win this fight. I'd cap him at about sixty percent. He's more likely to win but if we look at the odds his implied probability is 80% so if you cap him at 60% that's a terrible bet whereas I cap Frankie Edgar at 30 to 40% with his implied probability at 23% that's a great bet you're getting at least a 7% margin on the bookie if you give him a 30% chance of winning I personally believe it's 30, closer to 35-40% which means you're looking at a 17% margin a 12-13% margin over the bookie. That's fucking value. And remember. Again. I don't care about picks. I don't care about being the smartest guy at the bar. I don't care who wins this fight. All I know is. If I consistently get my money in positions like this. Where the odds are very wide. Where the odds are very inaccurate. If I consistently place bets like this. Then. I will crush it long term. Because these odds are off the bookies are assuming that Max Holloway's takedown defense is bulletproof and I have seen no evidence of this with 10 years experience betting on MMA four years experience betting on MMA for a living as a professional gambler, I've seen no evidence sure, flashes of great takedown defense but not against one of the best chain wrestlers in the history of MMA haven't seen Max Holloway deal with a chain wrestler That's why there's value here. So yeah. I'm sure there are going to be loads of comments. um, Calling me a fool. Calling me an idiot. Telling me Holloway is going to knock Edgar out in 10 seconds. And yeah. You could be right. Uh, If the fight stays standing for what it's worth. I think Holloway will dominate. I think Frankie is screwed. Don't give Frankie any chance. If the fight stays standing. But his path to victory is on the ground. And I believe he's got a decent chance of getting it there. Unfortunately. This is going to be one of those bets where I look like a genius or an idiot because there's not going to be much middle ground. Either Max Holloway keeps the fight standing, stuffs all of Frankie's takedowns, turns him into a panic wrestler and dominates the fight standing, that's scenario one, or Frankie Edgar uses his train wrestling to drag Holloway to the ground and beat him up with his wrestling, that's scenario two. There's only two ways this fight's gonna go, there's not much middle ground so I'm either gonna look like a genius or an idiot But remember, betting on MMA is all about identifying all possible outcomes, all possible scenarios, all possible ways a fight can play out. Assigning a probability to each way a fight could play out. And then referencing those scenarios, those outcomes with the odds to see if there is a value on a fighter. And I believe there's value on Edgar, even though I think he'll lose. But remember, you only have to win one in three of these bets to make a profit. So you can afford to be wrong 67% of the time and still make money. Just bear that in mind. So before Captain Hindsight comes to visit me in the comments next week. Tells me I'm a fool for thinking Frankie had any chance. Just remember. You're probably working a job you hate. And I sit in my pants all day. Watching fights and betting on MMA for a living. I know what the fuck I'm talking about. And if you want to make money. You should value my opinion. And listen to what I tell you. So with that being said. With that being said, we've just spoken about how risk the reward how how bets with a good risk to reward ratio can help you make a lot of money long term. We've just spoken about how putting your money in strong positions will help you make money long term. Speaking of risky bets, Vivian Araujo was one of our biggest winners of the year. One of our biggest underdog bets of the year, one of our biggest winners. She's fighting again this weekend. You know, we bet Vivian Araujo earlier this year when she was at, you know, 3.70 plus 270 underdog against Talita Bernardo. She's one of our biggest underdog bets of the year. Very risky bet. But again, we've only got to win one in three of these bets to make a profit. We're already free rolling on Frankie Edgar with the money we've made on other huge underdogs this year like Chek Congo to beat Vitaly Minnikov, like Vivian Araujo to beat Talita Bernardo. So I don't care about individual bets, don't care about picks, don't care about being the smartest guy in the bar. All I care about is travelling the world, taking care of my family, driving nice cars, living a happy life, and not having a fucking boss. The best way you can do that putting your money in strong positions consistently if you do that you will make money you will make money and the bet on Vivian Araujo a big underdog odds was a good example of that when she beat Talita Bernardo earlier this year Frankie Edgar is another good example of that but it's very 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 important for me to point out that Frankie Edgar is obviously a very high-risk bet it's obvious the fight stays standing Holloway is going to dominate He's going to kill Frankie. Frankie has no chance if the fight stays standing. So don't go too big on Frankie. It, it it really amuses me. Guy left a comment on last week's video. Literally like 10 minutes after Steven Peterson lost to Alex Caceres. It was something like, ha 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 ha. You lost your shirt on Steven Peterson. And when I read comments like that, I'm like, I need to build a casino. Because people are so fucking stupid. Like, if you think that I would bet any significant or meaningful amount of money on one individual bet, then you're crazy, especially a high-risk bet like Steven Peterson. Like you ever seen this dude fight? He fucking blocks punches with his face. Why would I bet any significant amount of money on a guy like that? You know, Vivian Araujo took this fight on three days notice. You'd be a fool to bet a lot of money. You'd be a fool to c- commit a significant amount of your bankroll to a bet like Vivian Araujo. But it doesn't matter because the risk-to-reward ratio is good enough to take a gamble. Do you see what I'm saying? Don't go big on Frankie Edgar this weekend. Use bankroll management. Be intelligent with your money. Yeah? Frankie Edgar's a strong position. Steven Peterson was a strong position. Vivian a strong position. Jermaine was a strong position. Jermaine Durandame was a strong position. But not all the bets are going to win. Because on bets like this, you have to take on some risk. A decent amount of risk. So a lot of these bets are going to lose. But at the end of the year, you know, four, five, six hundred bets down the line over a 12-month period. As long as you make more money than you lose. Who gives a fuck whether Frankie Yeager wins or loses on Saturday night? Who really cares? Who really cares? You know? So that's the point I'm trying to make. And Vivian Araujo is a very, very nice segue into... The next fight that I want to talk about in today's video, which is Alexis Davis against Vivian Araujo. And holy shit, it is getting warm in this room. It is getting very, very warm in this room. I am sweating and my computer is going to explode. Sounds like an aircraft is about to to take off underneath my desk. It is the summertime in the UK. It is like 30 degrees and it's fucking hot, boys. Let me take a little drink after that. It's also 5 30 a.m. It's almost daytime outside. I don't know if you can see the lighting might have changed in the video. Cause I thought I'll stay up, give my dad a little ring. Do you know what I mean? He's leaving for the hospital about 6 a.m. Give him a little call. Wish him well. He's gonna be nervous and that, do you know what I mean? And that ankle replacement, it's quite big surgeries in his empty, so. Give him a little pep talk. It's all good. He is all good. Right. Alexis Davis against Vivian Araujo. So, obviously, we made a lot of money betting on Vivian Araujo in her last fight. And she looked absolutely incredible. You know, in that fight, she demonstrated that she's got excellent footwork. She's a very, very technical kickboxer. Some of the best footwork in the division. She looked absolutely outstanding. She's also a very strong wrestler. You know, good takedown defense. Very high level Brazilian Jiu Jitsu black belt decent cardio, pretty tough, and she was the flyweight champion in pancreas. So, Vivian Araujo is the total package, she's got everything. And that is why, when she was a huge underdog in her UFC debut against Talita Bernardo, I couldn't believe my luck, because quite frankly, this girl's fucking incredible. She shouldn't be a huge underdog to anyone in the division. However, unfortunately, now the cat is kind of out the bag because she looked so damn good against Talita Bernardo that for this fight, what have we got going on here? Best fight odds is, oh no. Oh no, oh my internet's gone down, boys. My internet has gone down, right, that's fine. Uh, We're gonna keep doing the video anyway. I know what the odds are, so I can just talk you through them. So Vivian Araujo's currently around about uh, a 1.40 favorite, which is minus 250, an implied probability of seventy-one percent. So that's the problem with with how good Vivian Araujo looked in her UFC debut. Now the cat's out the bag. Everyone knows how good she is, and her her skills are now baked into the odds. You know, women women uh, women's MMA is a lot more predictable than M- uh, men's MMA. You know, for whatever reason. Female fight- fighters tend to be a lot more inconsistent. I think they often have a lot more difficulties making the weight. Um, you know, for whatever reason, they're just a lot more inconsistent. So whenever you are betting on a female fighter in this price range, at these kind of odds, you need to be getting something really, really special. Because in order to get any value here at all on Vivian Araujo, you know, you need to cap her at having a 75 to 76% or better chance of winning and that's very very difficult because of how inconsistent female fighters are Vivian Araujo is absolutely amazing I love her I think she's brilliant I think she's a difficult stylistic matchup for Alexis Davis you know I actually think Vivian Araujo is in the top five flyweights in the world I think she's brilliant but cannot cap her at 77% here so there's no value in a bet on Vivian Araujo So the current odds on Alexis Davis at the moment are around about 2.50, which is plus 150 for an implied probability of 40%. And, you know, this is a difficult stylistic matchup for Alexis Davis because, you know, Alexis Davis doesn't have the best takedown defense. And we know, you know, Araujo is a very strong offensive wrestler. She's quite weak off her back. We know Araujo's got a heavy top game, and while Alexis Davis is also a high-level Brazilian jiu-jitsu practitioner, uh, you know so is Araujo. They, sh- they should cancel each other out in that respect. Standing up, from a technical perspective, Araujo is also at a much higher level than Alexis Davis. She's much more technical. She carries legit KO power, and she throws a much more diverse range of strikes which makes her a tricky opponent for Davis because Araujo's got a lot of footwork, very elusive, throws a high volume of strikes, and Davis has got more of a slow plodding style where she walks forward, basically zombie mode like Steven Peterson blocking punches with her face. And she does take a lot of damage in her fights. She wears a lot of damage, and she's not a particularly good offensive wrestler, which will make it very difficult for her to get this fight to the ground because Vivian Araujo has excellent takedown defense. Having said that, just like Steven Peterson, just like a lot of fighters that embrace zombie mode like Justin Gaethje or Tony Ferguson, in order to fight with that style, you've got to be a tough mama-jammer and Alexis Davis absolutely is. She's the kind of fighter that you have to practically kill in order to beat, she's a total warrior, she's a nightmare. She's extremely tough and she will have no problem following a rouser around the octagon walking her down, blocking punches with her face, just trying to put hands on Araujo. And one thing that I've noticed Araujo do, which is a potential weakness here, or not so much what she does, but when I went back and watched her past fights in Pancreas, and also her fight against Talita Bernardo, there were clues that she may struggle against pressure fighters. You know, a lot of fighters like Araujo, who are incredible at everything, who have blown through lower level opposition in smaller promotions like Pancrase. a lot of the time these fighters are very good at ha- being the hammer, but not so good at being the nail. You know, Ariane Lipsky is a very good example of this. She was murdering girls in KSW. She's come into the UFC and struggled when girls have got in her face and roughed the rep because she's used to dominating. And... You know, it's possible that Araujo could struggle in the same way, which is why I'm not interested in betting her Her odds of 1.40 minus 250. In fact, I think the odds are a little bit better on Davis. I think she's around 2.60 for plus 160. Um, But yeah, it's one of those fights where I definitely wouldn't bet on Araujo at these odds. She's too big of a favourite. I definitely wouldn't bet on Alexis Davis because it's a bad stylistic matchup for her. But she could win, Uh, you know we haven't seen how Araujo deals with pressure fighters, she's looked a little awkward uh, against her past performance when they have pressured her, the difference is because she's faced a lower level of opponent and she does have so much power in her shots, she's able to back girls up, girls aren't able to maintain that pressure against her. But we know Alexis Davis has no problem walking through the fire. She does have the toughness and the chin and the cardio to walk through Araujo's shots and pressure her for 15 minutes. That could make life difficult for Araujo. So it's a pass from me. But um, it's an interesting fight. Just a shame that Araujo's odds weren't a bit better. And if Araujo's odds did improve, you know, if some money came in on Alexis Davis... And Araujo's odds improved to like 1.60, which is minus 167, which isn't a million miles away from where they are now. You know, that would give Araujo an implied probability of about 63%. And at that point, I would be interested in betting on Araujo because I'd cap her at around about 70%, which is where her odds are at the moment. But obviously, because her odds do give her an implied probability of 71%. Right now, the odds are accurate. There's no value. It's a pass. And I was planning... On showing you uh, one of uh, Sung Woo Choi's past fights, but what since recording, it looks like the internet's actually gone down in my house, so I can't show that to you now, unfortunately. But it's available on YouTube. Uh, you know, if you go to Spot TV's channel and just search for TFC16, you will find it. He's the guy in the black shorts, and I mean, not not anything uh, specifically that I wanted to show you about that fight, anyway. So it's no big deal. Um, And I don't want to uh, don't want to record the video again because then it'll just mean It'll be another six or seven hours later before you guys get to see the video so Gavin Tucker against Sung Woo Choi. So from memory I thought that Gavin Tucker was very very good, but after researching him this week I am definitely not as high as him and this is why You know, doing fight research is so important because a lot of people, you know, when they bet on fights or they break down fights, they just work off win-loss records and they wiki-cap fights or they just work from hazy memories. And I promise you, your mind will play tricks on you because I had some vision of Gavin Tucker as being like some incredible, you know, Dominic Cruz, TJ Dillashaw type fighter. And to be honest with you, he's more of a hyper value version of those guys. You know, more of a bargain basement version of Dominic Cruz or TJ Dillashaw. Certainly utilizes a lot of footwork, a lot of unorthodox movement and patterns, but nowhere near as effective as, as either of those guys. Uh, obviously, because otherwise he wouldn't uh, he wouldn't be uh, ten and one and, and lost his last fight against Rick Len. But He's not as, uh, doesn't set things up as well, and he's quite reckless and sloppy on his entries into striking range, tends to get caught with a lot of big counters. So, there are a few things, a few X-Factors, first of all, to unpack about Gavin Tucker before we talk about this fight stylistically. The first thing is that he's 33 years old, uh, which is getting up there, you know, when fighters reach the age of 33, their body starts to naturally you know produce less uh, lower levels of testosterone which means their athletic performance tends to decline significantly every year after the age of 33 of course there'll be outliers that develop and mature and 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 peak later on in their career but as a general rule past the age of 33 fighters tend to decline uh, it's also not good that you know someone this age is is quite inexperienced with only 11 pro fights uh, and also another thing to take into consideration is he's quite undersized for the division. So at five foot seven with a sixty six inch reach, he'll be giving up a huge size and reach to uh to Choi to who is five foot eleven with a seventy four and a half inch reach. Here we can see uh Choi will actually have an eight inch reach advantage over Tucker. Which will make it difficult for Tucker to get inside and land anything, especially because his his, his entries into striking range aren't particularly good. Uh, also, have to take into account the fact that he hasn't fought in almost two years. Uh, you know, so not good being 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 this inactive and this inexperienced but he took the last two years off uh, to move the Tristar to train under Farasa Habi which sometimes is a good thing sometimes is a bad thing you know Farasa Habi is one of the best uh, MMA coaches in the world Tristars is one of the best MMA gyms at the world but I feel like sometimes fighters go there and they actually regress and decline just because it's almost like they get overwhelmed with so many new techniques uh, they actually end up tying themselves up in knots and their output uh, reduces and they end up being more passive than they were before it's kind of like when Mike Perry moved to Jackson's MMA it's the best example I can think of where uh, you know when he trained at his own gym back in Miami he was this ruthless killer and that's what made him great and then as soon as he started to fight at Jackson's and tried to perform more tactically uh, it actually changed everything about him that was good and he, he he didn't have as much success, and you see that about a lot of guys that move to Tristar. Either they go there and they excel, or they go there and regress. So the jury's out on Tucker makes it difficult to cap this fight because you know two years training under Farras means that he could have improved a hell of a lot and he could come into the fight on Saturday night looking absolutely outstanding or he might have declined or he might be suffering from bad ring rust and look absolutely terrible there's just no way to know but one thing that we do have to take into consideration is the fact that this fight is taking place in Canada and obviously gavin tucker is canadian so he's going to have home advantage on his side just remember that canadians win around 65 percent of the time when they fight non-canadians on ufc events in canada so home advantage is a big deal in canada and uh, and if it ends up being a relatively close fight you know chances are the judges will give Tucker the nod you know we saw a very very bad hometown decision last weekend where Francisco Trinaldo clearly beat Alexander Hernandez but they gave Hernandez the hometown Texas decision so from a stylistic point of view you know we know it's difficult to kind of predict what version of Tucker we're going to get on Saturday night he hasn't fought in so long ring rust might affect him don't know how he's going to look after being out for two years he's also two years older as now and, uh, and who knows what kind of impact TriStar is going to have. But it's this is actually a tough fight because Xiong Wun Choi is not bad. Very technical kickboxer. Also hits very hard. Obviously, he's got a massive size advantage. Uh, and if the fight stays standing, I do actually give Choi quite a decent chance of winning this fight um he's he's very good actually very very good one of the things that I like about choi is that he 's got very very heavy counters so in a in a few of his past fights i 've actually seen him drop opponents when they recklessly come into his boxing range with counters that 's quite significant in this fight because tucker's kind of got goopy goofy sloppy entries into the boxing range uh, and I do believe choy 's reach advantage. An ability to counter will help him land some really big shots on Tucker. We actually seen him get dropped uh, by Rick Glenn in his last fight when he recklessly ended boxing range and Glenn caught him with a counter. So something Choi is particularly good at, uh, which is definitely a part of the victory for him. The one issue I've got with Choi is that even though his takedown defense isn't terrible. his takedown defense is very average you can put him on the ground but it's not terrible when you actually do put him on the ground he's very very weak off his back just tends to go to full guard like we were talking about in the holloway fight earlier on and you can you can rack up a good few minutes of top control and even though gavin tucker is primarily a striker you know he does have a small compact body type which will make it easier for him to you know shoot deep take down injuries on on string Choi. and uh, and he has shown flashes of being a pretty strong grappler in his past fights uh, and also with him training at tristar you know for asahab he's not stupid he's one of the best MMA coaches in the world he always goes into fights giving his fighter a solid game plan they're going to have watched footage on shung wun Choi. they're gonna know that this guy's got questionable takedown defense in a low level ground game so they might have done a grappling heavy uh, camp come into the fight with a grappling heavy game plan and look to just take Choi down and control him on the ground so at the moment the odds on this fight uh Gavin Tucker's currently around about a 1.80 favourite, which is minus 125 for an implied probability of 56%. There's no way I can bet Tucker here, you know, he's getting older, hasn't fought in two years, ring rest is a real issue. Who knows how he's going to look training at TriStar. Uh, he's also not really got a significant advantage anywhere. Uh, And he's undersized for the division, even though that might help him get takedowns. And uh, Sung Wung Choi, the odds on him are 2.0 at the moment, which is plus 100, uh, for an implied probability of 50%. So the bookies are really seeing this as roughly a 50-50 fight. Uh, You know, they're seeing it as a 50-50 fight. I do lean slightly towards Choi. But it is a very high risk bet and I would want much better than odds of 2.0. I'm actually pretty jealous. His odds last week were 2.8 which is plus 180 and his odds got absolutely steamed. So shout out to you. Congratulations if you put Bet Choi at odds of 2.80 plus 180. I think he was a great bet at these odds. But at odds of 2.0 plus 100 it's a pass for me. But this is going to be one of those uh, riskier bets that I do like. It is a Steven Peterson type bet where if the odds move to the point where I can get a decent amount of value, a decent margin in the odds, I will take a gamble on Choi. Uh you know, Gavin Tech is a popular fighter, he's Canadian. You know, we're still four days before UFC 240 takes place. We might see some line movement. We may see Tucker's odds improve. So I will keep an eye on Choi's odds. And if his odds were to improve to 2.30, 2.40, I'd probably take a a, a gamble on Choi. Probably take a small bet on him. But just like Peterson, it is a risky bet. So I need good value in the odds to to take that gamble. And there's not that much value at odds of 2.0. So yeah, it's a pass for now. But I am interested in betting Choi. So that is pretty much it for today's video guys, I really hope you enjoyed it, I'll be back tomorrow breaking down another 3 fights, please like the video if you appreciated this content, it would mean a lot, and subscribe also if you haven't already, and also... You know, let me know in the comments below, you know, what you think of the stuff I've said in today's video. Read all your comments, even the nasty ones. I love you all. And uh, and let me also know what fights you'd like me to break down in, in part two. So take care, guys. Uh, I am going to give my dad a call now before he hits the hospital. Wish him luck. Uh, love you guys. Uh, take care, and I will see you all soon.